0: Well, good morning. Uh, If you're watching this in the morning, I have no idea what time you're going to watch this. I hope you are encouraged by that wonderful video we just watched of the kids sharing that memory verse. And I hope that verse, as you memorize it in these next coming weeks, that it brings consistent, uh, persistent rejoicing into your life and thankfulness. Also, I want to echo what was said uh, and... uh, I know for many, Mother's Day is really difficult because of a number of different experiences. But for those that are mothers, we do want to say thank you for all that you do, all the sacrifices that you make. And uh, and special thanks to my mom, if you're watching this. Thanks for watching me every week and me and my biggest fan. And uh, I love you. So with all that said, uh, I'll actually start the sermon. Uh, so... Um, Many of you have probably experienced what they call a stress test. A, a number of years ago, uh, they were just checking out things with my heart, and they had me do one of those stress tests. And they hook you up to everything, and they, they have you get on, a, on a, a, well, not an elliptical, the... Whatever those things are called, they're kind of like a treadmill, one of those. They had to get on a treadmill and they monitor your heart. And recently, someone from our church actually got what's called a nuclear stress test. And in a nuclear stress test, what they do is they inject a dye into your blood. And as you do the different activities, they monitor the blood flow. And really what it's doing is it's checking what is the condition of your heart. Does your heart have good blood flow in all the different locations? Are there any blockages? Is your heart in a good condition? Well, today Jesus is going to explain to his disciples a parable which really demonstrates that every time he talks and every time he shares the good news in his in the crowd that is following him, there are four different types of hearts. There's a, a hard heart. There's, there's a, a distracted heart. There's a Uh, unforgiving heart and there's there's a a receptive heart and he's going to use this parable of four soils and so the question we have going into looking at this parable is what if we had the same kind of test to analyze our own heart if we were to look at our heart would it be hardened Would it be soft toward the spiritual things in life, or would we be hardened toward those things and just push God away? Is our heart full of selfishness and pride, or is it a loving heart that's full of compassion and grace? What if we had the ability to run a test on our own heart and diagnose what the problems were and and what could be fixed? Well, today, as we enter into this parable, let's ask that question. What kind of heart do I have? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you're good, that you care for us, and that you love us, and that there are many different times in our life where we where we struggle to have a heart that's for the things that you care about, where we struggle with selfishness and pride, and we struggle with our own desires and wanting to pursue things that aren't fruitful rather than pursuing godly things. And so just help us today as we study this parable to be challenged, to be the type of heart that that wants to learn and grow and pursue your things. In your name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to be looking at Mark 4, 1-20. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it. sat in it out on the lake. That was the normal posture that they would use when they were teaching as a rabbi. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on a quiet lake. I know that the night that I planned to propose to my wife, we were going to take a little paddle out to the small island that was probably about 30 feet by 30 feet. I don't know, just a small island. We had been there years before, carved our initials into one of the trees, had our first kind of official kiss. That's a, another story for a different day. But I wanted to take her out there and have, as the, as the sun was setting, to overlook the, the lake and to sing a song and to have the most romantic place possible for this for this awesome event, to, to, to ask her to marry me. And as we were circling the island, which was my final destination, there was two paddle boats of teenagers, loud teenagers. And they wouldn't stop being loud. And because of the lake and the effects of the sound on the lake, we could hear everything they were saying. It was driving me nuts. Finally, they went away, and I was able to make landfall on the island and enact my plan. But see, Jesus, the crowds were so many that he couldn't just stand and teach. So he went out on the boat, and he taught them from the boat. And he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. He was teaching them through parables. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But in the parable, he'll use a common thing, something that people would be very familiar with. And in an agrarian society, they'd be really familiar with this farmer. And he continues and says, as he was, the, the farmer, scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. So in those days, they, they would have lines of the plants, but in between the lines where people would walk or maybe even where their animals traveled uh, to go and plow, there'd be a place where they couldn't plant any, 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 any uh, plants. <laughs> the, the seeds, if they fell on that path, would just be taken up by the birds. And it continues. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprung up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. So they would they would plant it in a place that worked for a little bit, but the roots had no place to go. And so therefore, once the sun came out, it would scorch it and they wouldn't be able to grow. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. This word thorn would describe kind of those thorny weeds. If you've ever had a weed problem as you've been trying to garden, you know how frustrating they are. It seems like they have this miracle grow attached to them. And so the weeds grew up and choked out the plants. So this seed fell on good soil. It came up. Grew and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred times. One thing you 'll notice about parables is they always have something shocking and for us this doesn 't seem very shocking, at least not to me, but in a good year that a plant would would produce three to eight fold, and so eight would be like a really good year, and thirty would be something that would be unfathomable, but sixty or a hundred times would be impossible. And so Jesus is saying, that's what this soil produced. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now the disciples and others heard this and they had to be wondering, okay, what's the meaning of that? Okay. I mean, it's just common sense. You throw some seeds down and if it's on the path, it doesn't, doesn't work. If it's if it's on a shallow ground, it works for a little bit. If there's weeds, it gets choked up. What does all this mean? So in verse 10, when he was alone, the 12 and the others. Now, there, we know as Jesus traveled, there were often more people than just the 12 with him. So he's with the 12 and some others. They asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they may turn and be forgiven. That doesn't really make sense, what is is Jesus saying here? Before we look into that, I want to go in. We're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark these next nine weeks. and As you do your devotions, you're going to read quite a bit of parables. And so I wanted to explain a little bit about what parables are. Parables weren't new in Jesus' time. They'd been taught for many years. In fact, if you remember in the Old Testament, when, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed, uh, he was not repentant about it. And then Nathan went up to him and told him a story. He said there was one man who had everything he ever needed, and he had all these sheep and goats and everything else like that, and he had a neighbor who just had one precious sheep. And when he had someone come over, he went and stole that neighbor's sheep, and he killed it for the meal. And David got furiously mad, and, and David said, We need to kill that man. And Nathan said, You are that man. And the parable struck to the very heart of who David was, and he recognized what he had done, and he was repentant. Parables have a way of doing that. It it sometimes strikes to the heart in a way that's different and more unique than just saying something simple and plain. Daniel Akin gives eight different things we can learn about parables. First, they provide insight into the nature, coming, and consummation of the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom of God is near." And often, what parables do is they shine a light to that. They help us understand what that means. Secondly, by design, they are provocative and surprising. Have you ever heard a story that shocks you? You know, I remember on Facebook sometimes I've learned my lesson. You know, someone starts telling this crazy story about something that happened at the grocery store. And as you're reading, it, it gets crazier and crazier. at the end, they're like, ha ha, fooled you. This didn't really happen. Now copy and paste and. And I'm not fooled anymore. I've read enough of them to know that they're not true. But the parables had a way of, of saying something through this extravagant thing that you never saw coming. For instance, when Jesus is asked, who's your neighbor? He tells this story. And all the religious leaders pass around this guy that's beaten. And the climax of the story is a Samaritan. A person that the Jews would have hated. That they would have thought of as immoral. And a sinner. The Samaritan is the one takes care of the Jew, and he puts him in a place to be taken care of, and he pays for all of his medical bills. And another one, the prodigal son, runs off with his inheritance early, and yet when he comes back, the father runs to him. At the end of the story, we see this prodigal son who had had betrayed his father is now in the house and experiencing the blessing of being in the family, and the older brother who had been faithful during that time is on the outside looking in. See, parables often have a way of of showing a a bigger story. One particular parable, Jesus was talking about uh, this man that owed a debt. And the, the number that Jesus put on this debt was like a bajillion dollars. It was billions and billions of dollars, some kind of wealth that no one could ever have, so extravagant that this debt was impossible. And then, when he's released from that debt... He goes and goes to some other person who has a debt. It's a significant debt, but compared to what he had been forgiven, it was very minuscule. And so Jesus uses these numbers to show this is astounding grace that he was offered the first time, and yet he squandered it. Well, here in this parable, we see what a crop can't really go 30, 60, 100 fold. Next, parables are used to stimulate. Thinking and cause the hearer to contemplate what they are hearing. They cause us to stop and reflect and say, "What does this mean? Why? why, How should this impact my life?" Four parables use everyday objects, things like a a farmer sowing a seed, events, circumstances to illustrate spiritual truth. Usually with a new twist, some twist in the story that you don't see coming to show the truth. Parables reveal more truth to those with receptive ears. And they hide truth from others. And we'll look at that in a moment. Parables make up 35% of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. Now, interestingly enough, all the parables are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't have any parables. I don't know exactly why that is, but well, it's an interesting fact. Number seven, parables usually but not always focus on a single truth and because of that we don't want to be all allegorical and try and find the different meanings of all these different elements of the parables often parables are trying to get at a single truth and lastly parable in the gospels ultimately draw attention to jesus as god's messiah and call us to make a personal decision concerning him they call us to make a personal decision so when you read these parables that should cause you to stop and pause and say what what do i need to do because of this See, parables are used to reveal and conceal. To reveal and conceal. To those that have soft hearts that are are pursuing God, they reveal truth. And to those that have hard hearts, they often conceal the truth. R. Hughes put it this way. In essence, Jesus was saying the condition of one's heart determines its receptivity to the truth. Those who receive truth and act upon it will receive more. But those who reject truth will ultimately lose any bit they had. To illustrate this, in in Acts 28, Paul is talking. And as he's talking, he actually quotes the exact same passage from Isaiah that Jesus quoted. And we're going to look at Acts 28 real quick here. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. So he's going back to the Old Testament and showing them that Jesus is the Messiah. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to our ancestors when he said through the Isaiah the prophet. Notice before we get to what Isaiah said, that some were convinced... And others would not believe. And so because of this, as Paul shares about what Isaiah said, they reject what Paul says. Because Isaiah said this, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. This is what Jesus quoted to in Mark. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes or hear with their ears, understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. If they, if they understood with their hearts in turn, I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Paul's point here is because the Jews are rejecting Jesus, God is sending the good news to the Gentiles, which made the Jews very, very angry. But God knew that the hearts of the Jewish people had become calloused. In verse 13, Jesus says, don't you understand this parable? Oh, I skipped verse 13 on here. My bad, I don't have it up there. Verse 13, Jesus says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Jesus is going to say that this parable will actually help you understand all future parables. So we're going to go through this quick. We're going to read it and then go through it one verse at a time. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others are like seed sown on rocky places. They hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some a 100 times what was sown. The farmer sows the word. In this story, we see that Jesus is the farmer. But anytime time we sow the word, any time we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are like the farmer. When we sow this word, the, the parable still applies. As I preach out there in the audience and on the internet, there are people with a hard heart. There are people with a distracted heart. There are people with an uncommitted heart. And there are people with a sensitive heart that wants to follow Christ. As believers, we have a mission to make disciples of all nations, to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth, to sow seeds. At 1 Corinthians 3, Paul understood this. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Paul, in the church in Corinth, he said, I planted, but then I wasn't able to be there, and Apollos watered. But God was the one that caused you to grow. Now, that's always the case. I do my best every week to, to sow seeds and to, to plant the gospel, and other times I may be watering a seed that's already been planted in somebody, but God is the one that causes people to grow. So in this parable, Jesus is going to describe four different types of soil, and each type of soil represents the condition of the heart of the listeners, but it also could potentially describe the condition of your heart today. Let's look at the first heart. This is a hard heart. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. They're a hard heart. When I talk, they really they don't really care what I say. They're indifferent to the things of the Lord. I could have a conversation with them about the scriptures, and they would say, okay, that's, that's good for you. That's fine for you. But that's not really me. They care a lot more about everything else in their life other than God's will for their life. You know, I I think, too, people can be very religious and still have a really hard heart. We saw it with the scribes and the Pharisees. They were certain that they were following God's laws. They were certain that they were pursuing God, but in all reality, they completely missed Jesus. And a hard heart rejects Christ. It's interesting that in Mark 3, we see the. The scribes and the Pharisees, they're they're attributing the power of Satan to Jesus. They're 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 attacking him in the previous chapters of of being from Satan. And he's saying, Look, your your hearts are hard. When I sow this word in you, you know, Satan comes and takes the word that was sown in them. He just takes it away. You you're accusing me of being Satan, but don't you see what's happening as you reject the truth? Don't you see what's happening? In verse sixteen, he continues. He says, "Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away." See, I believe uh, this kind of heart is an uncommitted heart. It's uh, helmet theliki the coolest name ever. I don't. I mean, I, I don't know how to pronounce. His or her, I don't know if helmet is a guy or a girl. I'm picturing like an old Viking lady who's got a big helmet because, I don't know. Uh, It is the half-Christians who always flop in the face of the first catastrophe that happens because their dry intellectuality and their superficial emotionism do not stand the test. Now those are some big words, but I picked it for two reasons. I think these are the two reasons that I often see people make that first decision to follow Christ when it's not really legitimate. I know sometimes people have made the intellectual decision to follow Christ. Maybe they grew up in church and they say, yeah, that sounds good. And then when they get to college and that their worldview is challenged, they find themselves rejecting the God that they claim to serve for many years. Or maybe they're in a message and it seemed to sound like a good deal, but then later, when challenged by someone else, they, they start to doubt the things that the preacher, whoever it was, said to them. But a second thing is that emotional, superficial emotionalism. I remember my first youth mystery as a youth pastor. I, I was very passionate about evangelism, and because of that passion, I would often craft sermons that were very persuasive. And I found that with the right the right story at the right time and, and to say the right things, I really presented Christianity as the best thing in the world. And it almost came across as if you do this, you won't have any more problems anymore. And we saw a whole bunch of kids raise their hand and say, I want to be a Christian. But what happened is when they went home that night or the next week or something else and, and their parents were fighting and the dad was an alcoholic, and then, then it seemed like those, that emotional decision they made wasn't really true. They had just made it because of emotions. They had never surrendered to Jesus as Lord. We used to go to this event called the Choir of the Fire. and It was this big event with lots of production and great songs and a great speaker. And, and he'd make this emotional appeal to accept Christ. And we'd have all these kids raise their hands and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. But the next day, nothing had changed. They were caught up in the emotions of the moment, and they made a decision, but when faced with the reality of life, they hadn't really surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord. I remember a student that I used to have in youth ministry that every single time I would share about the gospel, he would raise his hand, but he would never surrender any of the things in his life that that we all knew were were holding him back. He he was never willing to give over his life to God, to surrender God to him, the things that need to be surrendered. He wanted to live his life exactly the way he was living it before, but just add Jesus. I find it interesting that often as preachers, we're, we're, we're encouraged to water down the gospel so that more people can be welcome at the table. But in all reality, Jesus tended to do the opposite. He made it more difficult for people to follow him in Luke 9 there's three different people some that approach him others that he approaches that, that basically say I want to follow you and the first one he says look look if you follow me you'll have to be homeless and that guy doesn't follow him the second guy says well let me bury my dad first and he says no no let the dead bury their dead which seems like a, a really mean thing to say but Jesus was seeing what he wanted to do was was go home and make sure everything was in order and, and wait until he received his inheritance and once all that had happened. Then he would go follow Christ. Another one said, just let me say bye to my family. But Jesus saw through it because he sees the heart of people and knew the motives were wrong. And so in each step, he's, he's calling people, challenging people. He's saying a simple thing, follow me. But he's calling and asking for us to surrender to him as Lord. Like we looked at the last week, the disciples they are fishermen. They just left their nets and went and followed Jesus. Levi, a tax collector, left his booth. They left everything to follow Christ. So oftentimes people have a hard heart and they don't want to follow Christ, but sometimes they just have an uncommitted heart. They intellectually agree that, okay, Jesus is God, or, or they emotionally say that sounds like a good deal, but when the hard time comes, when catastrophe hits, when difficult seasons of life come, When they lose a loved one, when they go through financial ruin because of COVID, then they immediately turn their back on God in those moments because they really had an uncommitted heart. Third kind of heart I like to call a distracted heart. In verse 18, Jesus says, Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire of other things. First, the worries of this life. In Matthew 6, Jesus is talking. He says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or care about your body, what you will wear. Is that life more than food and the body more than clothes? And he goes on to say, hey, the birds of the air, I take care of them. How much more will I take care of you? The lilies in the field, I take care of them, how much more will I not take care of you? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. But we're so tempted to be so caught up in all the things that we face in this life. So caught up in the worries of, what am I going to do about my kids' schooling now that I'm homeschooling them and I can't balance working from home and doing school from home and what's going to happen if Governor Whitmer doesn't lift this order and my my small business that I've started I'm, I'm hemorrhaging money right now and we get so caught up in all the worries of this life that we can lose sight of Jesus he also says the deceitfulness of wealth there's a rich young ruler in in Matthew 19 and and he was a very moral person And he said, what do I need to do, Jesus? And Jesus just said, sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and come follow me. And the man walked away sad because he had great wealth. Walked away sad because he had great wealth. Now, Jesus doesn't ask every single person to sell all our possessions, give it to the poor, and, and to do that. But he knew this Man's heart. It's a common theme, but what we see is that Jesus knows our heart, and he knew the heart of this rich young ruler. He said, if you're going to follow me, the thing that's keeping you from following me is your vast wealth, and so you need to get rid of that and follow me. And he said it's very hard. It's harder than the, a camel going through an eye of a needle than for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. And, and the disciples were like, well, then how can anybody enter the kingdom of God? Because rich people were thought to be the ones that were being blessed by God. And he simply says, with man this is impossible, with God all things are possible. Riches can often be a hindrance to our walk with God, not something that helps us. Matthew 6, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And in 1 Timothy 6, Jesus says, for the or." Paul, using this principle, says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, this that the love of money is the root of all evil. As some people say it's the root of all kinds of evil. Because you can have money and not let it control you. You can be actually very rich and, and use those, that rich and wealth for the purposes of God. But you can be poor and love money and have it cause issues in your life. I know the pandemic, uh, some of the things we've been doing is Sandy and I have have probably watched more TV together than we normally have done in the past. And we have very diverging tastes. You know, I I like action movies. She likes movies with drama or romance, you know. And and, uh, I like sports, and fortunate for her, there haven't been any sports on, so we don't really get to watch that. Uh, But she loves the HGTV channel, and they have all these different things. We've actually found a show we really like. It's called Hometown. And I think the two people that, that do it are Christians, and it's uh, I even I enjoy it. It's crazy. I enjoy watching something on HGTV. But one of the things I find is that as they uh, remodel the houses, there's lots of cool ideas that they have, and it starts to spark a little, a little sense in you of jealousy. You know, oh, man, I would love to have in our bathroom, I would love to have one of those soaker tubs. So after I go on a bike ride and my knees are hurting, I could... I could soak and, and and it wouldn't hurt as much. And man, it'd be really cool to have an outdoor space like that. And I, I find myself very easily starting to not be as content with the house that God has provided. And and God has provided everything we need. We're so blessed, and yet so easy when we can pair to other people and what they have to to have a sense of sense of discontentment. But because of that, sometimes that can cause us to pursue wealth in a way that's unhealthy. And so we decide to work all these overtime hours and 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 stay away from our family just so we can work toward having the best 401k. And we and we we find our, ourselves focusing on all the things that we want. This is something I'm trying to teach our kids, you know, as they get ready for their allowance and they're, they can't wait to get on Amazon and and pick out the Legos they want to get. And it's easy for them to get caught up in that in that consumeristic cycle that we have here in America. So he says, The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. And James 4, it says, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so this distracted heart is often pursuing these things that aren't fruitful, pursuing these things that aren't from the Lord. One of the commentaries I wrote said this. He talked about, I say, a distracted heart. He calls it a divided heart. And He said, a divided heart is like the heart of a girl to which a young man once proposed. He said, darling, I want you to marry me. I'm not rich. I don't have a yacht or a Rolls Royce like, like Johnny Brown, but I do love you with all my heart. She thought for a minute and then replied, I love you with all my heart too. But could you tell me a little bit more about this Johnny Brown? See, it's easy to have this distracted heart that gets so focused on things that are the wrong things. So you can have a hard heart, an uncommitted heart, a distracted heart, or even a receptive heart. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. This is good soil. It doesn't just have a great production season like eight times it has this impossible production 30 60 100 times so how do you figure out what what is good soil when it relates to your heart how do you know if do i have good soil is my heart receptive jonathan edwards put it put it this way what is the distinguishing mark of true conversion humble broken-hearted love for god John MacArthur talked about this change, he says from loving self to loving God, from pride to humility, from the reigning power of sin to the reigning power of righteousness. And when we have that receptive heart, then we'll produce fruit. Fruit like it says in Galatians five love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control. And we have to continually ask ourselves the question, this week, was I patient? Was I loving? Did I demonstrate self-control? Was I kind? Was I gentle? And ask ourselves, am I demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit? In Ephesians 2, the Scriptures say that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. God created us to do good, Good works he created us to bear fruit when we have that receptive heart, we can be a good soil that bears good fruit. So, I just have a couple questions for you today. first, what type of soil are you? Are you a hard soil that 's hard hearted are you is it a rocky place where when hard times and persecution come you turn away from god maybe you grew up in a christian home and you heard all the things about being a christian but when hard times hits when when you went off to college you just found yourself rejecting the god that you had heard so much about or maybe you went through a really difficult season and you had a miscarriage or some other tragedy and you just found yourself doubting god and turning away or maybe your heart is a thorny soil You pursue wealth or the worries of this life or the desires for earthly fulfillment. You find yourself distracted from the things of the Lord. Or maybe you have a good soil. Maybe you're already producing good fruit and you find your satisfaction in Christ. See, I think that even as believers, we can find these traits to be evident in our life. There are seasons where we're, we're that receptive heart. And, and where we eagerly go to church and we, we can't wait to hear what the message is and we can't wait to apply it and we open our word and we experience this, this season of, of excitement. But there are other times where we have a hard heart. And oftentimes it's when we're stuck in a habitual sin. And that sin leads us to harden our heart day after day after day. And then we're just coming to church because, well, it's what my wife wants me to do. Well, I want to set a good example for my kids. Well, I don't want to let other people know I'm struggling. Or maybe right now you're struggling with an uncommitted heart. In the midst of this pandemic, you find yourself doubting God and turning away from Him in the midst of the difficulties. Or maybe it's a distracted heart. As, As you've lost income during this COVID season, you find yourself just focusing all of your time and attention on the financial burden or what's ahead or or maybe with the extra money you've gotten. Maybe as you receive the stimulus check or some of these other things, you're just thinking about all the things you want to buy. Let's seek to be fertile soil, which is firmly planted in the Word of God, and live our lives on that truth. So the first question, what type of soil are you? The second question, how is your heart? And the third question, are you spreading seeds? We have loved uh, having, this is bird seed. If I plant this in the ground, it won't actually plant anything. Uh, But we love watching, uh, now we're kind of stuck at home, not much to do, uh, having that bird feeder, having the birds come down. We bought a bird bath and watching the birds bath, which is kind of creepy if you think about it. But um, what Jesus said is the farmer went and he, he spread out the seed and I'm sorry, but I'll clean it up. And when he went, he spread it out, and he didn't know what the soil was going to be. And and some landed on, on hard soil. You know, and other landed on soft soil that wasn't very shallow. And other landed on soil that had, uh, that had weeds. But he still sowed. And as believers, when we sow, we don't know what the soil is like. We can't control how receptive other people's hearts are. We can't control if they have a hard heart or distracted heart or an uncommitted heart or receptive heart, but we still need to take the seeds and we still need to sow. And we need to sow as we're with our family, as we're at our workplace, with our friends, on social media. We need to think about how we share and what we share so that we are clear about who Jesus is instead of distracting from Christ with our anger or our or our frustration. Recently, we had uh, two different people that have accepted Christ at at North Park, and, and there's something common in their story. Both of them, God was working on their hearts. They had receptive soil. And an individual from North Park simply said, hey, you should come check out our church. The individual from North Park didn't know that they had soft soil, didn't know that they were ready to hear the good news of the gospel of Christ, but they came in and they heard the good news about Jesus Christ and they heard the gospel preached and they said, I want that. I want that. Because God was already tilling the soil and preparing it for the the seed to be planted. And so we don't know when we're out in our workplaces. We don't know when we're at our family unions. We don't know when we're on Facebook the different types of soil that exist to our hearers. But we need to be faithful in putting out the seed, faithful in sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we never know a simple invitation, hey, you should come check out our church. We never know what God's already been doing in that person's heart and mind. So we need to be people that, that if if you are hard if you've been a hard soil and and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ then I challenge you to do that today. <laughs> you will change your life. But maybe as a as a Christian you've allowed some of these distractions or some of these other things to come into your heart and to 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 kind of strangle out the fruit. And so right now when you look at your life you you realize that that man I, I've allowed all these other things to kind of crowd out Christ. I need to. I need to give him preeminence, or maybe you're a believer and you can't remember the last time you spread any seeds. We just need to realize that the people we talk to day in day out, we have no idea what the condition is of their soil. And by simply spreading the seed, we might be putting a seed for the gospel that God will grow. Paul, Paul put the put the seed in. Apollos watered it, but Christ grew it. So whether we get to plant the seed or we get to water the seed, whatever it is, we just need to be faithful. So let's pray. Dearly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you love us. And I thank you that there are probably many people listening to this that might have a a hard heart. Or they they might have a distracted heart. They're just struggling with things in life, Lord. And we just ask that they give their heart to you, knowing that you're gracious and caring. Lord, I'm so thankful that you changed my life when I gave my heart to you. And Lord, I still struggle at times with distractions and and pursuing my own ways and my own selfishness. But Lord, help me to follow you and pursue you and help us each and every day to, to, to follow after you and to spread the seed of the gospel to as many people as will hear it. In your name we pray. Amen. I hope you were encouraged by today's service. This week, go out, have a great week. Live as a testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Share your faith. Share the good things God has done for you. Randy posted some reflection questions that we can take a moment. If you're watching this with your family or with some roommates uh, or a friend, Uh, to just take a moment to go through these reflection questions. They'll be put on the big screen here in a second so you can pause it and take some time to ask those questions and think through the sermon. Have a great week.